there. You are listening to the Love and Loss Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Johnson, and I am on this earth to help you recover emotionally, physically, and spiritually from miscarriage. It's definitely my calling. It wasn't all that long ago that I too suffered three miscarriages of my own and six years of infertility. And I really know how painful and lonely the journey can be. Over those six years, I developed some really solid tools for releasing the emotional pain of loss and for truly healing from the inside out. And I'm here to share them all with you so that you can feel like yourself again. So if you've had a miscarriage or experienced the loss that infertility brings, because there is a loss there too, you are in the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're taking the first step toward healing by joining me today. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome. You are listening to episode number 26 on the Love and Loss podcast. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you wouldn't know that I had three miscarriages altogether. And I told the stories of my first and second miscarriages in episodes number 11 and 14. And those can be found at sherryjohnson.ca slash 11 and sherryjohnson.ca slash 14. I'll put those links into the show notes just in case you want to refer back to those. But today I'm telling the story of my third miscarriage and along with that, some of the lessons that I learned with this one. Each of my losses has come with lessons. Lessons about the physical body, about my emotions, my mindset, and processing grief. My third pregnancy came right on the heels of my second one. I had just undergone a surgical procedure where my OBGYN went into my uterus with a camera to see what was lodged between my fallopian tube and my uterus and to potentially correct a septated uterus. So I talked about this on my second uh, miscarriage story, but just to remind you, and for those of you who don't know, a septated uterus just means um, some people have a uterus that is sort of divided. It can be partially divided or fully divided by a membrane, or your uterus can kind of take on a heart shape. So that top part of the heart is sort of where the the uterus folds in on itself and that can create what's called a septum. So the, the doctors thought that I had had that. They learned this after my second miscarriage and so I had been undergoing some tests and an MRI to, to figure out what was going on with my uterus. And it turns out that whatever was lodged in my fallopian tube was just some benign tissue. And I didn't, in fact, have a septated uterus at all. When I woke up from the surgery, I was under a general anesthetic. My OBGYN said, everything looks healthy and pink and beautiful in there. And when I woke up to this news, I immediately felt a huge weight lift off my shoulders that had really been weighing me down for the six months since my last loss. 
I felt like I could finally breathe. I'd undergone tests and weekly blood tests and MRI and ultrasounds, all kinds of things that just, I didn't even realize how much they were weighing on me. And it's no wonder I couldn't get pregnant in that six months. And you know what happened? Two weeks after I had that surgical procedure, I was pregnant again. So this leads me to lesson number one. Tests are only sometimes accurate. I had an MRI that showed that there was a fibroid in my fallopian tube. The ultrasound showed that and the MRI and and a septated uterus and neither was accurate. So though I had never had an MRI prior to this, I had always assumed that an MRI was pretty much going to tell me the truth and it didn't. This was reconfirmed when I asked my, or this, this belief, so go, let me step back a second. This belief that tests are always accurate and what the doctors say is always accurate was kind of the fact that that's not always right is, was reconfirmed when I asked my OBGYN what my FSH levels were when I had the surgical procedure. So what happened was that The day that I had the surgical procedure, I happened to be on day two of my cycle, which if any of you are going through infertility or fertility treatments, you'll know that FSH is typically measured on day two of your cycle. And FSH is the the follicle stimulating hormone and usually you want it to be between about eight and 10. Uh, that's the number it should fall in. And mine was at 17, as it turns out on that day of my procedure. And I got pregnant naturally two weeks later. So when I was told that, uh, when my levels were 12 to 13, um, it kind of is different every time they do tend to fluctuate from month to month. Um, 12 to 13, I was told was considered high and I wouldn't likely get pregnant on my own if I was at that mark or higher. And yet I did. And I was 42 years old at this point. The fertility specialist said that I'd need help for sure. And yet I got pregnant naturally. So when the doctors tell you that something isn't going to happen, a lot of the time it won't. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy we, what we believe, we manifest. And if we believe that it won't happen, we won't manifest what we want. I didn't necessarily believe the doctors. And what I had in my own head was that my mom didn't go through menopause until she was 58. And so I kept telling myself that I had a lot, lots of time to get pregnant still. And I think that belief had something to do with it. I didn't necessarily believe what the doctors were telling me. And it turns out that they were wrong. So don't always listen to the doctors is the lesson that I want to share. They're basing what they say on probabilities. And they're not always right. Sometimes you are one of the chance um, that's at the, the low end of the probability scale, but you're that person. So I knew very early that I was pregnant and because by this time around, I was very attuned to the symptoms. 
almost so much that I could imagine the symptoms. And so I spent two weeks excited but worried until I went to the bathroom one day and there it was again. What I was so worried I'd see and what anyone who's had one loss is going to worry about during their next pregnancy. And that was a few spots of blood. I called my OBGYN and she got me in for an ultrasound really quickly. She already knew my story and I had a pretty direct line to her office. And this was the first time that I had had an ultrasound so early. It was six weeks for me. And it was also the first time I had ever heard a heartbeat. I was ecstatic. There is nothing quite like hearing the heartbeat of your baby, especially after you are so worried that something is wrong. And let me tell you, for me, actually seeing the baby on the ultrasound screen and hearing that heartbeat made it so much more real for me. And at that time, it seems that the blood was stemming from a lesion on the other side of my uterus, and it looked like it was unrelated to the baby. So I went home that day concerned, but relieved, and I went back the next week for a checkup. And that second time, it was the dreaded words that many of you have heard before, there's no heartbeat. And the fact that I'd heard it once before made it so much more difficult to process the reality that I'd lost my baby. Here comes lesson number two. Even when we know in our hearts, we still will grab on to any shred of hope that our baby is still alive. And the lesson is that that's okay. My doctor, thank goodness, never tried to take that hope away. She let me have that. When I asked her if there was any possibility that the ultrasound was wrong, she was honest. She said that there's always a slight possibility that the ultrasound didn't detect the heartbeat considering it was so early. It was only, well, would have been seven weeks. She said that's, that's possible. Not likely, but possible. And when I asked her why I still felt nauseous and why my breasts were still sore, why I was still feeling those pregnancy hormones, she told me that my HCG levels were uh, likely haven't dropped enough for the symptoms to disappear, but that it was okay to just wait and see what happens. She scheduled another ultrasound for me for a week later to confirm that the baby had stopped growing and blood tests to see if my, if my HCG levels continued to drop. And she just let me be for a week. I was so grateful for that. I was grateful to have hope for another week. I was grateful to hang on to my baby, to just stay pregnant or believe that I was for another week. After that, she gave me options because that next ultrasound confirmed that the baby hadn't grown and and that I was likely to miscarry in the next few days. So the options that she gave me were to do a DNC, take mesoprostol 
or cytotech as it's called in the US, which is a labor-inducing drug, or I could just wait it out. I was fearful of the pain that the drug would cause, but now that I had lost hope, I didn't want to wait to miscarry naturally. And I'll tell you, during miscarriage one and two, I was pretty dead set against the drugs. And this time around, I just... I was in a different headspace and I didn't want to wait. I think I was already, I'd already been through two losses. And so by the third time, it's different. You, you don't have as much tolerance for waiting. You just want to get it over with, or at least that's the way it happened for me. This time I had essential oils to help me through it. I didn't know about them during my first or second miscarriage. So lesson number three, essential oils are powerful. I used them, I had been using them for about eight months or so by this point, but I hadn't really had any big, like noticeably, noticeable moments when I noticed a big difference or some change that the essential oils had had coincided with. And this time I used doTERRA's deep blue soothing blend and Clary Calm women's blend every hour or so once I started taking the mesoprostol and it did wonders to ease the pain of the contractions. I was shocked by how well it worked. And after this, I really opened myself up to the power of natural solutions and the power of essential oils. So that was lesson number three that just really opened up my mind to, or my heart even to the, the power of natural solutions for the next two years after my third loss, my husband and I tried on our own to get pregnant. We tried IUI intrauterine insemination a few times with no success. And when the specialist told us that we likely wouldn't be successful in getting pregnant without a donor egg, we decided to stop fertility treatments. Some of you know this already. This was the most difficult decision that we'd ever had to make as a couple. And here's lesson number four. It's almost impossible to move forward and feel like you made the right decision until you've been able to heal from your loss or losses, if you've had more than one. You also can't make a decision for yourself if you're caught up in everything that everyone else wants for you. It's impossible to figure out what you truly desire for your life when society is constantly telling you what you should want and your family and friends are constantly telling you what they believe is best for you. And it took me a long time to figure out how to wade through all of that. So first I had to heal from my losses. And if you haven't healed from your last loss, the pain of that will impact your decision to have another baby or to try to get pregnant again. So if you're someone who, who is still thinking about having another pregnancy, you're going to be fearful of the pain of your last loss and you'll worry that it's going to happen again. And that could keep you stuck in a decision 
without ever moving forward because that fear keeps you from being able to make a, a, a good decision on whether to get pregnant again or not. That that fear of the last of the the pain of your last loss is hindering your decision. So you need to heal from your last losses in order to really make a clear decision. And second, I had to figure out if I wanted to be pregnant or if I simply wanted a child. And this would help me decide if I should go through IVF or if we should consider adoption or foster care. If it didn't matter to me if I got pregnant, if it was my own pregnancy, then I could move forward with an adoption or foster care. And I couldn't do that until I really determined if it was both that I wanted or if I just wanted to be pregnant, if I wanted that experience as a woman, or if I wanted both a child and to to be pregnant myself. And third, I had to figure out if I could be okay without having kids at all. My husband wasn't 100% on having kids and at this point was encouraging me to get on side with him. And to do this, I had to strip away all the pressure I felt to please my parents who desperately wanted another grandchild. I had to stop listening to my friends who all had kids and wanted me to have what they have. And I learned through this that almost everyone who has kids will tell you to have kids. It took one very brave and honest friend of mine to say that as much as she loves her kids, she would have been okay without them. It took her to say that for me to feel like I could be okay too. So I'm forever grateful to that friend for being open and honest with me because I don't know that everyone is. I'll get into more information on how to actually wade through all of these outside influences on your decisions so that you can do what's true to you on a future episode. I'm going to talk about that. And if you can't wait to get into that, there's a whole module in my online program that gets into this very topic. It's it's really around taking the steps that allows you to move forward in your life, in your decisions, and, and in your marriage. Um, so all of that is covered in my online program. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in, in exploring that. It wasn't long after our decision to be happy without children that I was able to heal enough and to feel I had learned enough to support other women on their pregnancy loss and, and infertility journeys. And my business became my new baby. And nothing now makes me happier than to watch my clients grow through their pain, to release it, and to be able to move forward. Before I wrap up for today, let me just recap on the lessons from this episode once again. Number one was a physical lesson or lesson around the physical body. And that was that tests are only accurate some of the time. So trust your instincts. Doctors can only say what is most likely based on the stats and their own experience, but that's, that's not always accurate. So trust your instincts. 
Number two, the second lesson was more of a mindset lesson, and that was that it's okay to hang on to even the thinnest threads of hope. Hope is what keeps us from despair. And sometimes that's all you have when your baby is at risk or if you feel that your baby is at risk. So if you need to hang on to hope for a bit longer, even when others are telling you that there's no hope, just allow yourself to do that. Number three was a physical lesson and that was around the natural solutions and specifically how powerful essential oils are. And number four was a mindset lesson and that was that you need to heal emotionally from your loss or losses before you can decide on your future. And you also need to strip away society's expectations of you and your friends and family's advice in order to really get at what you truly desire for your own life. And that's a wrap for today. I'll be back next week with an episode on how to handle the back to school week when you've had a loss or are going through infertility. The, you know, we're coming up to the first week of school. I think it might have even started for some of the states in Canada. We're just going to head into it the, um, the week after Labor Day, which is the it's kind of the second week of September this year. And the first day back to school photo bombardment on social media is tough. But something I also find even tougher is the annual count. It's that another year has passed and it reminds me that my first baby would have been going into grade two right now and my second and third would be going into kindergarten And I want to teach you how to get through all of that, the bombardment of, of those kinds of thoughts and the difficulties and challenges that come with, with back to school so that you can handle it with grace. And that's it for today. I will talk to you next week until then. Before you head out, I would be forever grateful if you left me a review on iTunes as that's going to help other women who are suffering from miscarriage or infertility to find this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode for you. In the meantime, make it a week of nurturing and healing for yourself. Bye for now.